Hello, and welcome to another episode of KCSU Music Interviews. This was an interview that took place on August 16th, 2018, with music producer and DJ Miss Jada. Miss Jada is a Colorado State University alumni who spent her college years and about seven years after graduation producing music in Fort Collins. She moved to Denver in 2017 to pursue music. She has been fan voted as the number one electronic music producer in Colorado twice, and in 2015, she was voted best DJ by the Fort Collins Music Experiment. Host Hannah Copeland takes an in-depth look into Miss Jada's present life as an entrepreneur, DJ, and production company owner. Then you'll explore how Miss Jada grew up too fast due to a parent's illness during her childhood in Hawaii. Thanks for tuning in. The electronic music in Fort Collins 10 years ago was very minimal. Um, there were um, a lot of uh, Colorado electronic music artists, um, but there wasn't a lot of opportunities for them to perform um, in uh, um, in the venues around here or um, to be able to expand any further down into Denver, because uh, Denver is d- definitely very electronic music and it's got itself all set up. So I wanted to be able to um, offer a, a, an option for people up in Fort Collins, and so it it started really small. Um, it was really developed out of um, some of the venues in Fort Collins at the time were looking to find somebody that they could trust to help develop these electronic music nights. And that's kind of how it started for me. It wasn't anything that I was seeking out. It kind of fell into my lap. And so I really appreciated that opportunity because it did allow me to give more options to people to pursue their dreams. So it's developed over the last 10 years, has come to a point now where we can even have Tuesday events in Fort Collins that are electronic music and they're packed. And I remember when I was holding my Tuesday nights in Fort Collins, even just three years ago, we would barely be able to get anybody in through the door because it was a Tuesday night. How much has um, substance intake? I know it's, we're talking about drugs here. Yeah, um, yeah. As delicately as we could say it, yes, that's what yeah. we're talking about. <laughs> um, you know, drugs and EDM music, um, it's, from some people's perspective, go hand in hand. They're almost inseparable. Yeah. Um, from some people's perspective, they just enjoy music. So yep. um, do you think this is, do you think they are um, inherently together or um, is this something that can be separated? Does this become an issue that, that needs to be addressed? I personally got into the electronic music world um, without any substances, not even drinking or, you know, no alcohol, you know. Uh, anything like that it was it was purely a passion for myself and a desire to learn about music and and music therapy and healing and all of those that side of things so there is that entire world out there but then there are also the people who see um, going to a venue as going to party and so the music can be pretty much anything what they're there for is an entirely different reason and that's their choice they're absolutely welcome to do that those people do um, have a tendency to Um, have outsiders see them as the standard norm. But there are a huge percentage of people that go to these shows entirely sober because the music is their drug, so to speak. As an artist, have you experienced a night where um, someone's in sobriety or drugs got in the way of music while you're trying to perform? (laughs) It's funny you ask about that. Yeah, actually. um, So this probably was about seven years ago, but it was at, at... uh, in Fort Collins at the Aggie. Um, I was in a different band at the time and uh, we were on stage and 
It was a packed venue, so there was a lot of activity close to the front of the stage, and somebody who was very inebriated, I am not sure what substance they were on, somehow managed to get up on stage. Um, and when they got up on stage, they uh, danced around and knocked over the table that had all of our performance equipment on it, mm. which cut the sound in the entire venue. Um, and it took us, you know, seemingly probably only 15 seconds to get everything making sound again but in the music world in a packed venue 15 seconds of silence is pretty insane <laughs> so um that was absolutely that person was simply too messed up and they're um you know what would normally stop somebody from jumping up on stage because you know that's not socially appropriate to do that in a lot of instances but when you take away all your inhibitions, they just were so excited. It's not like it was malicious, it was excitement. And that's, that is definitely something that uh, was a negative impact. <laughs> to the degree that it's shutting down an entire um, venue's sound. Yeah. A large venue, the Aggie is thousand seats at least. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's capacity is I think of 850. Mm, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. It was a crazy moment. <laughs> Let's get a taste of what your music sounds like. Uh, first, we're going to play the track Everything Changes. Can you talk to me about me about this one so this one was um this is the first um title track off of my my album the album is called everything but ordinary and uh this new uh, first track was written to kind of express the fact that all my albums sound a little bit different and so this is kind of like a tribute to my old style and my last album and reintroducing the new style in it so everything changes <laughs>
Everything Changes by Miss Jada, live in studio with me here on the Good Morning Show on KCSU. Yeah. If you're just joining us, uh, I'd like you to know Miss Jada here is a CSU alum. She moved to Denver about a year and a half ago from Fort Collins to pursue music. She also owns and operates her own production company, the CID Initiative. Miss Jada, how have you seen production change over the last 10 years? One of those things that's changed significantly is the expectation that when you go to a music event anymore, and this is based on, um, I I believe, on a fan's opinion or the patron who's paying for the ticket, that um, as time has progressed, people have um, put more and more uh, effort and value into the production of the show that's outside of just the music. Um, If you'll think back to, you know, the 60s and 70s, there wasn't uh, there wasn't crazy light shows. At at at, uh, at, at uh, concerts, you would go and you would pay your five dollar ticket at the time, which was probably really expensive for just the uh, music music you saw that itself. It wasn't until you know the start of the the um, you know the real hair metal and stuff that the production value started to go really big on that side of things. And then you fast forward up to our electronic music scene, and now we've got uh, all of these events now that have an expectation for a production value that's got everything involved in it from from uh, from the painters to the to uh, having artists and vendors available to having dancers throughout the the night to everything um, in between that involves um, as much of a visual representation of entertainment as well as an auditory representation of entertainment and that has definitely put an impact on the pressure for um, people who run promotion companies. People need to get paid when they're, when they're um, sharing their art, or at least it's the hope that we would be able to pay them because if we're charging for tickets for them coming through, uh, for patrons coming through the door, then that money should be going forward to the uh, 
um, the people who are putting on the show. Uh, what has started to happen in the scene, especially in the local smaller artists um, who are all in Colorado. And this is me speaking specifically about Colorado. I'm not sure about anywhere else. But here we have such an oversaturation of artists. You want to, you can say any type of musician, um, you know, painter, uh, these uh, go-go dancers, flow artists, hip hoopers, all of there's so many people out there that have a desire to share what their artistry is, that there is a small sect of promoters that have um, started to create a discord and um, an expectation of um, doing it for the experience, quote unquote, while the promoter themselves is still charging the patron whatever value they want to charge them for them to come through the door. And uh, that is creating a really big problem that I see in the scene because you're getting uh, uh, quality artists who in the past had been booked and had been paid to, to and, and expect to be paid because, you know, well, if you're charging $10 for a ticket through the door, the artist, the DJ, whatever on stage who is creating that sound should probably get a portion of that because that's what the patron is there for. However, there is now this disconnect that's happening that people who are um, running these shows are not forwarding that money to the uh, to the DJs, to the artists, to anything like that, simply because there are so many people that want to do it that they don't have to spend money. They just go with somebody who's willing to do it for free, and then they are continuing to just pocket the money themselves. Would you say with an oversaturation of artists in visual arts, um, we're talking dancing, we're talking music here, everything, because promoters know that so many people are willing to do this work for free, that takes away from the more experienced artists who need to be paid, who are trying to make a career. Yeah, and 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 it, it it's really affecting the whole spectrum from from artists who have been, say, for instance, who've been doing this for ten years, who who have you know ten years ago were doing it for free, and then slowly built themselves up to a point where they were getting paid, um, are now finding themselves getting less and less bookings because. Uh, there's also the the new generation of DJs coming up or or producers that uh, want to really just get experience. They do literally just want it for the experience, and so then they get booked. But then they also continue to do it for free because they had that first chance and 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 then are too nervous to ask for money. So it's perpetuating non-payment. I'm more familiar with the indie rock world. Um, I know that the one avenue left to be paid is to perform live mm -hmm. um in a lot of aspects and you're saying that the, even this avenue seems to be uh getting stripped away the artists who do have the initiative and the the the, col the collective mind to realize that this is not appropriate are actually starting their own production companies themselves and working with venues to start their own nights and to ensure that they're so there is this 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 new underground underground for the for the electronic shows of people who are really aware of the fact that like we can have a community we can have people working together we can pay each other we can do all of this. What we need to do is weed out the people who are doing it for inappropriate reasons. You know, this music is a, it's a tough business here financially. Let's let's just focus on you and your experience. Uh, what does 
keep you going? What is it that feeling that you get every time you're on stage surrounded? Um, I've seen you perform once. Uh, you have headphones with cat ears, <laughs> yeah. arms in the air yeah. all the time. Um, just tell me about that. What what keeps you going? Well, uh, it's it's honestly it's it's like me being in my sandbox as a little kid. I get up on stage and and it's. I don't have any worries, no inhibitions. It's, you know, I might have anxiety and nerves to the split second I get up on that stage. But as soon as I get up on that stage, and even if there's just one, two to a thousand people in the crowd, and I look out there and I see their smiling face, or I see somebody who just needs to feel something, then all of a sudden, it's the most exciting thing that I've ever experienced. And it changes every single time. I never know what to expect from a venue. Um, there's, you know, in different towns, there's different personality types of people and what they express to you at the at the end of your set and, and say to you, like, thank you so much for, for this song because it helped me with this or that. And I've come to find that I do have a very expressive audience when it comes to um, expressing themselves verbally to me, what they felt from my music and it is the greatest thing so i really like helping people in that regard let's listen to another track when we come back from the break we'll hear more about how miss jada grew up as a kid in hawaii this is running boulder by miss jada here on 90.5 kcsu Uh, 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 uh,
Running Boulder live here in studio with Miss Jada on 90.5 KCSU. Yeah. We're talking about all kinds of things, um, but we'd like to focus now on how you grew up. Um, I know that you came to Colorado for school at Colorado State University, graduated with a biology degree. Yes. Yes. And now as a music producer. Yeah. Um, You said you grew up poor in Hawaii. As a kid, you didn't have access to instruments, but you did manage to teach yourself music. So can you talk to me about um, how that worked when you were young? It was a very rare occurrence when it happened. Uh, The main reason being that uh, as a uh, as a kid, I was told, you know, the the traditional, you're so smart, you should be a doctor, you should be a doctor, go be a doctor, you know, that kind of thing. Um, have a very science-driven family, engineers and such. And so I um, was never really given the opportunities to have a music as a valuable tool placed in front of me. And so while being, and yes, growing up in Hawaii, unfortunately, um, our family was not uh, the most financially well-off. Um, illness and um, on my mom's side uh, kind of ha- precluded us from being able to um, financially be stable and a father that wasn't around. So when I did have the opportunities to be involved with music, it was mostly just friends that would have a piano in their house or, a, you know, a, a friend would have a, one of those little silly Casio keyboards or something like that. Um, I was always very drawn to keys. Um and uh, yeah, in living in uh, rural areas in Hawaii, there's it's the middle of the ocean, so if the instruments aren't around. They're not around, you know. <laughs> it's, it was before the internet where you can just have some Amazon deliver it to you in two days. <laughs> so when I did get the opportunity to to uh, um, sit down, I basically just taught myself to play stuff by ear. It wasn't until 2009 when I went to my first real concert that I uh, got to have that little light turned on in my head that there is this musician back there that's been waiting to come out the whole time. (laughs) You said that due to illness in your family, um, at age 13 is when you felt like you had to become an adult. Yep, absolutely. Uh, My mother, um, um, she... uh, yeah, she had uh, gotten diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer, and with uh, the way that my my father was not uh, present in uh, in raising us, I immediately had to to reframe my 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 mind to be able to help take care of my mother as well as my baby brother. And um, well, baby brother, he was you know <laughs> only fourteen months younger than me. But um, he, so we were Irish twins. But he was not able to stand up to the challenge. He definitely went the opposite way. So I became this little adult, the run in the house, you know, household and and all of that. And uh, definitely have um, have learned a lot to, um, about what it takes to um, hold on to who you are. Um, when th- life throws things like that at you. And uh, I definitely uh, feel that uh, when I was able to finally focus on myself entirely, when I graduated college, when I had finished all of those requirements that all my family wanted, did I actually get to acknowledge who I was on the inside? And that's how I really have developed in the, in the music world. How do you think that pressure from your family um, and, you know, 
thinking, being told you're so smart, you're so smart, you should be a doctor, Jada. How do you think that has affected your music today? I really appreciate the path that I went on because by being a scientist I've um, and, and being a, bio, uh, a biologist in particular, when you go to college, you take a variety of different science courses from, you know, physics to biology to um, geology. You can you can specialize in anything that you really want to uh, with what I was doing and, and um, focusing on microbiology um, needed to take courses uh, that I would understand, you know, um, electrical systems and things like that. So you learn about sound waves in, as, as a way to look at it. In physics, you know, it's amplitude and all of these, you know, you look at your XY axis and the way that something interacts with electricity and such. And that in and of itself, when you place it on top of the idea of music and what music is, it's just a beautiful thing because you can un- you have a different understanding of it, not just what you feel as an as a listener, but as as as, as somebody who as an engineer who takes things and breaks them down. I can look at the different waves of music. We have time for just one more song. Thank you so much for coming in today. Yeah, absolutely. It's "Love for Me" by Miss Jada here on ninety point five KCSU.
Thanks for listening to this episode of KCSU Music Interviews. I'd like to thank Hannah Copeland for hosting this interview, and big thanks to Miss Jada for coming into the studio. My name is Haley Justino. I produce this podcast. If you would like to hear more podcast episodes from us, you can find them at kcsufm.com, on SoundCloud, and on iTunes.